Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So, if you're new here, you wouldn't know that we've been doing a series here on prayer and how to seek God and what that looks like, and it's called Seek Him 2024. And today, I want to talk with you about the biggest barrier to answered prayer. The biggest barrier to answered prayer. So if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that prayer is a key part of your journey with God as you grow in Him. You have to learn how to pray because it's just part of communication and relationship with God. But sometimes we can have barriers in our life and those barriers will come up and they'll block our ability to pray well. And I want to address some of those. James chapter 4 verse 3 tells us that we ask in prayer and we don't receive Because we have the wrong motives, and those motives are to spend the answers we get on our own pleasures. So that's one thing that hinders our prayer life. In the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel went to prayer, and he prayed for 21 days, and he wasn't getting an answer to prayer, and an an angel came to him, and the angel said, God heard you the very first day you began to pray. But there was a spiritual battle going on in the unseen world. And that spiritual battle stopped the prayer from coming. But because you continued to pray, God has answered. So sometimes the barrier that we have are spiritual forces that resist us, evil forces, the presence of evil in the world that that resists us. Um, And then sometimes the people we pray for are resisting God's grace in the particular season they're in. Or maybe they're spiritually blind, and so they're not responding yet to our prayers to God. However, I've found this. The number one reason that our prayers don't get answered is that we refuse to forgive people who have offended us or hurt us. Unforgiveness is the greatest barrier to answered prayer that there is. And I want to look at this, and I want to give us some direction today on how to forgive After all, every one of us in this room that knows Jesus Christ, we know how much we've been forgiven for. And that is really the basis of Scripture in forgiving another person is that we've received so much grace, so much mercy, that we are called to act like our Father and extend the mercy that God has given us to other people. Amen? Now, in this room, I just want to ask a question here, take a little survey. How many people in this room are cat people? If you're a cat person, raise your hand and keep it up there for a minute and just hold it up there and then the rest of you, I want you to look at these people, okay? Now, next question. How many people in this room are dog people? Raise your hand. My wife raised both of her hands, so some of you got two hands up. Amen. Amen. Bless you, dog people. Bless you. Just kidding. Just kidding. Now, in the science of us... They listed what they called 17 things to know about forgiveness. And this is really interesting. Perhaps the most interesting scientific study on forgiveness noted who or what does not forgive. The article summarized the research this way. Cats never forgive. (laughs) Scientists have observed conciliatory behavior in many different animal species. The bulk of the research has been on primates like bonobos, mountain gorillas, and chimpanzees who often follow confrontations with friendly behavior like embracing or kissing. 
Scientists have observed similar behaviors in non-primates like goats and hyenas. The only species that has so far failed to show outward signs of reconciliation are domestic cats. In other words, and I'm going to get to this in my message today, in other words, when it comes to forgiving others, don't act like a cat. Don't be a cat person. Now, I'm going to go through several scripture texts. I want you to see these with me. The first, of course, is Jesus' teaching on prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, or some call the Disciples' Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 9 through 15. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Look at what it says. Therefore, you should pray like this. This is Jesus speaking. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. And that could also be translated, hallowed be your name. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, debt there is equal to sin, missing the mark. Other translations say sin or um, trespasses, right? So forgive us our debts, trespasses, sins as we forgive those or as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Now, now, listen, if you're teaching someone on prayer, and twice in that teaching in a matter of and Jesus didn't, you know, Jesus didn't talk and then say verse 14, you know, because the verses weren't inserted yet. But twice within just a couple of sentences of what you say, you bring up the necessity of not only being forgiven, but extending forgiveness, and you show a correlation between the two. I would say that's pretty important. How about you? Amen. Secondly, Mark eleven twenty-five, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Once again, we see the connection. Ephesians 4, 32 through 5, verse 2. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. Remember, there are no chapter breaks or verses in the original. We added those later so that we could read it better and find the address. But in the original writings, this is an ongoing letter, and Paul is continuing his thoughts. So this is a continuation of a thought, not a break in the thought. So, so let's continue it. The therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children... And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So we see here that in prayer, our ability to receive forgiveness and many of the other things we're praying for is directly connected to our ability or the grace in our life to forgive others. They're connected, right? And so what we learn from these texts of Scripture is pretty simple. First of all, if we forgive others, we'll be forgiven. God's love for us includes the requirement to treat others as He treats us. This means we are to forgive the people that hurt and mistreat us because God has forgiven us for so much. Secondly, if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven. That seems rough, harsh almost. 
But let's continue. This indeed proves the point that our human and horizontal relationships directly affect our divine and vertical relationship with God. When we harden our hearts to other people and refuse to forgive them, we harden our hearts to God and put ourselves in opposition to His forgiveness. He's not being mean. He's just holding us accountable for our treatment of others. This doesn't mean we lose our salvation. This is not a salvation question. Okay, this means that we lose a close connection with God and God disciplines us and deals with us. You know, it's often been said that the cross has two beams. One is vertical, one is horizontal, right? And in the cross, Jesus Christ reconciled us vertically to God. In the cross, our relationship with God was restored. But also in the cross, our horizontal, horizontal relationships were, were restored. And that the two of them are linked together in the center, at the heart. And right between those two beams is where we live, right? And that the two are interconnected. So it's impossible for us to say we love God, we need God, we believe in God, we love Jesus, but then to hold in our heart bitterness or unforgiveness or hatred of another human being. Like, God won't let it stay that way. He will begin to work out circumstances in your life that require you to face the issues and forgive. Because if, if you don't, a barrier will be produced in your relationship with God and your vertical relationship will be hurt because of the horizontal ones. Right? Super important we get that, and it's key that we get that. And you know, I'll, I'll add to that, that's why community is so important. That's why God gave us the church. He gave us each other. Because see, you can say all day long you love God, and you can even say you love your neighbor until I piss you off. Yeah, I said piss you off in church. Now you have something to forgive. See, this gives you a chance to grow. Okay? But think about it. Think about the reality of it. Everything's great. Oh, God's good. These people are so wonderful. Then I do something. You do something. We do something with each other. Now we're mad at each other. Now we have to work through our issues. And the scripture makes it clear. We can't go and talk to other people about it until we've talked to the person that we're mad at. Right? And we need to make that right. Because that other thing's called gossip. And the Bible says it's pretty evil. Right? And churches are full of it. And it's evil. I just want to say, you can't justify it. It's bad. Okay, but... So God requires us, it's like get down to it right here, this is where you work it out. We find out how much you really love. What is love? Love is the ability to, to uh, give yourself away to people, even who have offended you, to make the situation right, to reconcile, to restore, to redeem what's been broken. So we're not, we can't get off the hook. Thirdly, we forgive others because, and this is the only reason, because God in Christ forgave us. The basis of our forgiveness is God's love in Christ demonstrated by Jesus' death for us on the cross. God forgave us in Jesus. He sees us in His Son who was crucified in our place. Our life is hid in Christ, in God, Colossians says. So our life is in Him. And because we're in Him, we're forgiven, right? And then in Him, we can forgive. Fourthly, when we forgive and love others, we imitate God. I want you to notice that there in Ephesians 5, what did it say at the, at the first verse of chapter 5? Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So when we 
Forgive, this is powerful and profound, because to err is human, but to forgive is divine, and that is true. So people experience God when we forgive them. Think about this. One of the, you, you might be like praying for a family member, and you want to see them encounter God's love and God's grace, but you also maybe are really ticked off at them, and you're unforgiving toward them, and you have issues with them. You're like, Lord, save them, because I can't stand them, Right? And what you don't realize is your very act of extending forgiveness and grace and mercy and love toward them could be the very thing that opens the door and then they see Christ crucified because Christ crucified is the one who forgives those who don't deserve it. And what is grace? To give us favor and kindness when we don't deserve it. And what is mercy? To not give us what we do deserve. Right? So God gives us mercy, God gives us grace in Christ and when we do the same for others, we act. We're, we're being like God. We're imitating God. Secondly, big two, because I said the last one was four. Second, defining forgiveness, what it isn't and what it is. What is forgiveness and what isn't forgiveness? And, and the reason this is important is because many people are confused about what forgiveness is and what it looks like. So let's talk about what it's not first. Forgiveness is not sweeping bad behavior or sin under the carpet. That's really important. The scriptures teach us steps of confrontation when a person sins against us or behaves badly. There are times the scripture also tells to bear with people and be long-suffering with them in their weaknesses. Each situation and person is unique. But the scripture doesn't teach us to you know, sweep it under the carpet, pretend it never happened, stuff it down, don't, don't look at it, walk away, and now avoid. But I forgive them. I forgive them in my heart, but I can't stand them. I hope I don't see them. I hope I don't have to interact with them. I hope I never have to talk to them again, but I forgave them. That's bull. Call it what it is and go through the process that you need to, but you can't sweep it under the carpet. Secondly, forgiveness is not allowing a person to continually abuse you. Boundaries are biblical. This shocks some people. When we follow Matthew 18, for instance, where we go to a person between, them, between us and them alone, and they receive it or don't receive it, we're going through the process of boundaries. And if they don't receive it, then we take one or two more with us. And if they still don't receive it, then we take it to leadership. And if they still don't receive it, that relationship can be cut off and broken. There's a, actually a boundary that can be established in having relationship with that person because they refuse to repent of the things they continue to do. So the Bible doesn't say about forgiveness. Forgiveness means you just let people walk all over you and abuse you. It doesn't say that. But what it does say is that you refuse to be the one who gives the ultimate sentence on them and you refuse to close the door completely to reconciliation and restoration. That you give room for the person to change, to repent, to, to, to experience grace in their own life. Am I talking to anyone? Forgiveness is, number three, is not giving instant trust back to a person who's violated trust. We must forgive people and not hold their sin over their heads, but we can require time to rebuild trust through actions and not merely words. Amen? Here's an example. Sometimes people who have a pattern of lies or abuse or whatever it may be, they ask to be forgiven and they expect at that moment that they're not only going to be forgiven, but that they're going to be trusted. They're like, I thought you forgave me. I should be able to do anything and everything I did in the past. I thought you forgave me. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that when we forgive, we are saying, I no longer am going to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. I'm not going to hold your charges against you. 
But where the relationship has been continually violated and trust has been broken over and over again, and this is especially true if you've got a marriage where there's been infidelity or you have situations where there have been continual lies and trust has been broken, it is up to us to help that person but challenge that person to grow in integrity. And that can only be demonstrated by actions. Just because I tell you, I'm sorry, I won't lie again, I won't ever do that thing again, doesn't mean you're, you have to trust me. It does mean that you can say, I give you the benefit of the doubt and I want to believe in you. And now demonstrate this truth with your actions over time. I'm not going to condemn you, but you have to show me that I can trust you. Okay, so that, that's, I think that's really important because many of us get confused and we think forgiveness is, you know, okay, well, I guess now we just let them walk over us and do whatever they want to do. That's not what the scripture teaches. Am I talking to anyone? What is forgiveness? Ultimately, if you just put a big definition on forgiveness, forgiveness is simply releasing a person from your need to punish them for their sin and leaving that with God. It is releasing their sin debt and giving them the opportunity to start fresh. You see that? And here, here are some different elements of it. Forgiveness is an act of pardoning or letting go of a person's sin. It's our hin- human tendency to keep records and to build cases against a person who offends us. Forgiveness is letting that case go and dropping the case in your heart against them. Even if a person's committed a crime deserving of legal punishment, We have to come to the point where we inwardly release that person from our own judgment. Secondly, forgiveness is choosing to trust God with the other person and not feeling the need to punish them for what they've done. We cannot pass final judgment on people, as I said earlier, and become judge, jury, and executioner. We have to leave final judgment and any discipline of the person with God. All vengeance, discipline, or punishment ultimately belongs to God. This is important because one of the things you learn as you walk as a Christian over time is that not only will you fail in ways that you didn't see coming, but even people that you love, trust, walk with. I mean, any of you that have been married for any length of time know this is true. In marriage, you disappoint people. In marriage, your spouse can hurt you like nobody else can. Right? You walk through things with people that you're close with and people let you down and they break your heart. And if you don't learn to forgive and to release and to let go and to, to not hold on to that, or let's say you've even been a recipient of horrible abuse and someone has done you terribly. Let's say you've been the recipient of watching an injustice done. Years ago, I have a little sister that was killed in a drunk driving accident when she was 16. And the guy that was driving the car was a 19, and he was very drunk, and she was in the same vehicle, bad call. And the car flipped, and she went out of the window and was killed. She was the only one in the car that died. And he fled the scene of the crime, went over the state border, went to a doctor, 24 hours passed. Uh, they, were, they did a blood alcohol test on his breath, and of course there was nothing there. And he went to court, and they brought in expert witnesses, and they muddied the waters, and they lied, and the guy got off. He went and did like a, a work camp for three months, and he got off and he walked. And I remember as my siblings, my, my little brother and my one sister, Uh, well, two of my sisters observed some of the things about the trial and watched what took place, this feeling of incredible injustice and anger and even some bitterness got in there. 
Now, here's the sad thing. That bitterness has more deeply affected a couple of my siblings than it's probably affected the guy who did it. Right? Because here's the reality. If I look to my world to provide me justice, and I'm not saying we don't fight for justice and righteousness and equity and what's good, okay? But, but if, if I am looking for this world around me to give me the justice that I'm looking for, I'm going to be sorely disappointed because we will fail at that over and over again. So there comes a point as you walk with God and as you become a Christian, you, there comes a point where you begin to realize that the only one who's going to get it right 100% of the time is the Lord himself. And I have got to transfer all of this stuff and this need to win, to make those people pay for what they've done. I've got to give that to God or it'll produce rot in me. And I've got to say, vengeance is yours. You will repay You'll make it right. I can't. It's in your court, Lord. Amen. And I might have to do that a thousand times. But if you don't, it'll produce terrible things inside of you. Nextly, forgiveness is emotionally working through the process of letting go of resentment and showing kindness to the other person. Forgiveness has an emotional element to it as well. When we truly forgive, we know it the moment we see the person or we interact with them. We may be guarded because they have a history of wounding us with their words, but we are determined to not be resentful or wish them harm. We can treat them with kindness or, and not reject them. I always know if I've forgiven or not by how I respond when I see the person. Ain't that the truth? And if you find yourself being like this, Something ain't right in there. That's like a little alarm light going up. Boop, 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 right? So I've learned in my own life, I'm just using my own experience here, I've learned in my own life that if I feel a barrier between me and another person, I beeline to them. Good to see you. I love you, missed you, whatever. Good to see you. Shake their hand. If a hug is appropriate, give them a hug. And all that stuff just melts away. Right? Some of you are like, I can't do that. <laughs> well, you'll get there. So, I, I, I know you wouldn't say, no, I'm done. So I'm just going to say, um, I want to share with you very quickly, if you're a note taker in particular, I want to share with you very quickly, how do you forgive then? What does forgiveness look like? How do I forgive? And I've got several points here, but I'm going to move through them really quick and, and I won't be able to fill in all the all the uh, flesh on the bones, right? But here's the skeleton of it, right? How do I forgive? Number one, you acknowledge the offense and the pain. Don't stuff your pain or deny it. If someone's done you wrong or wounded you, let yourself feel it and process it with God and or a third party that's outside the situation or person, right? So that doesn't mean as soon as you get offended or you're really hurt or angry with someone that you run to someone else who doesn't like them. And you say, I just need you to pray with me. That's what Christians do. We cloak all kinds of stuff in spirituality, but that ain't godly at all. The scripture doesn't say you go to that other person that's offended with him and you pray for him. You don't do that. That's gossip and it's wrong and, it's, and it'll mess you both up, right? So we acknowledge it. Now, one of the beautiful things is we have patterns of this. Go look in the Bible in the book of Psalms. Whatever David was going through in his life, he let God know. And it wasn't sweet and flowery language. It was like raw, very raw. He was straight up with God. He told him. He acknowledged his pain. 
If he felt rejected, he told him. If people were enemies that were after him, he talked to God about it. He let it all out there. He even told God about his anger, his desire for vengeance. But he trusted God with it. See, sometimes we misread the Psalms. We read David and he's talking, God, deal with my enemies and take care of them. And he's wanting God to do all these things. And we think, see, God's okay with us just wanting him to kill everybody. No, what we're seeing is David modeling for us. He's modeling for us how to pray our anger. Because if you don't get your anger out some way, it's going to turn inward and become rot. And so I just want to tell you something. I let God know all kinds of stuff. I've talked to God about some of you. Just kidding. I'm just joking. Well, probably have, but I'm going to stop right there. Number two, determine with God's help to obey what the Scripture says. We have to be careful that we don't let psychology drive us on this. Now, hear my heart. I believe in a lot of the things in modern psychology, but we can't let the primary thing be, I need to forgive that person so I can be healthy inside or so I can be happy or so I won't get sick. Because you'll hear people say, unforgiveness is like drinking a glass of poison and hoping it kills the other person. Right? And that is true. But the primary motivation for forgiveness in Scripture is not my own health. That is an element of it. The primary reason is I want to obey what the Lord says. And if God says I need to forgive people, I need to forgive people. That's primary. Secondarily, I also forgive them for their sake. People will say we don't forgive people for their sake. That's not what Scripture teaches, actually. Matthew 18 seems to indicate toward the end of the chapter there that when we forgive people, we begin to release them from a prison. We bring them out. So the very thing that we're maybe blocking, sometimes we're angry at a person, we're bitter toward a person, but we want them to change, but then we're, we're bitter and we're angry toward them. We don't realize the act of forgiving them could be the very thing that begins to open their heart up to God's grace and God's love. And then thirdly, we do it for ourselves because I'll tell you something, being unforgiving is really bad for your health for your life, for your time, for your destiny, for your future. Listen, the amount of energy we spend being bitter or angry and thinking about what people have done to us, that can take years off of your life. That can rip off your future, your purpose, your destiny, your hope. All that time you're spending just going over and over with your case in your mind, why that other person's wrong and they need to pay, that will just rip off life. And meanwhile, your children, your grandchildren, the people in your, li- in your life that you love, they'll be passing you by and going on with their lives and you'll be missing it because you're otherwise engaged with how that person needs to pay. So let it go. Give it to God. Forgive. Ask God to help you forgive. Ask Him for grace to forgive. I do all the time, Lord, help me. Give me the ability to forgive. Fourthly, if it's possible, go to the person and give them the opportunity to make it right. The reason I say if it's possible is sometimes the people that have wounded us the most are already gone. Right? A parent, someone else in our life that wounded us. When I was eight years old, a man on our block, a pedophile man, molested a bunch of little boys in our neighborhood, and I was one of them. And he did horrible things to me as an eight-year-old. And uh, I, after I became a Christian at age 18 and a half, 19 years old, that stuff started coming up in my mind. And I realized the Lord wants me to go there. And, I, and I, I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's alive. I don't know anything about his life. But I know this. I hate what he did and it was evil. I don't know his story. But it was evil. It was wicked. Nobody's discounting that. That's perversion. But I know this. I need to forgive him. 
I need to let that go. Right? So I forgave him. I worked through that process. But if a person is alive or near you or you have a relationship, you might need to go through the process of Matthew 18. In some cases, if, they were a, uh, if you've got a situation where you're dealing with somebody who is violent or a physical abuser or sexual abuser, I'm not saying you need to do that with people like that, but you do need to do it privately with a counselor, with someone, you need to get that stuff out and go through that process of forgiveness because then you can go on with your life. Right now, it's binding you and imprisoning you. Amen. Number five, uh, remember how much God has forgiven you for. I found that I have to recount. Listen, this sounds weird, but I need to recount in my mind regularly my own sin. Some of us think we don't sin. And I'm going to tell you what, you probably sinned more yesterday than I did. Just kidding. <laughs> See, that's what not to do. Don't compare. <laughs> Don't compare your list with someone else. But the reality is, is that all of us every day, multiple times a day, do things to other people, to ourselves, in our mind. We hate. We, we do all kinds of stuff. If we just were able to stop our thought life sometimes, we'd be like, oh my gosh, that's dark, right? So we know it's there, and God forgives us over and over again. That's how we forgive others. Number six, choose to forgive the person with God's help. Forgiveness cannot begin in the emotions. It must begin in the will. We must determine with God's grace to forgive people by our choice. Our feelings will follow our choice to obey God. It will be a choice you'll have to make hundreds of times in some cases. We must forgive people for their sake, our sake, and for obedience to God's sake for as well, as well most importantly. What I mean by that is some people will say, I can't forgive them. I just can't feel forgiveness toward them. And I'll say, well, it doesn't start with how you feel. Is it right for you to forgive them? Well, yeah. Do you think the Lord wants you to forgive them? Well, yeah. Okay, so let's start with your choice, your will. And let's say you right now have to choose to align yourself with what God is asking of you, right? I choose to forgive them. I choose to forgive them. And your feelings will follow your choice. I'm almost done, wrapping up here, coming in for a landing. In the circle of the airport. I use that way too much, but here we go. Number seven, declare that you forgive the person. An important exercise to engage in is the speaking of forgiveness over the person. Your own voice has more influence on your emotions than any other. You may have to say it to them or to God, but say it. Say, I forgive Jim from my heart for saying mean things to me. I choose to forgive Jim. I choose. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> I love Jim. I don't have any issues with him. I probably will after the service, though. <laughs> I choose to forgive. And you say it. And there's something powerful about that. We used to do a thing here called an encounter retreat and we'd have people, after they identified some of these things, they would go off and they would, they would like declare and, or get with someone else and they would pray and they would say out of their mouth, I forgive so-and-so for what they did to me. And sometimes it was filled with tears and it was full of pain and it was very hard to confront, but it's so liberating when it comes out of your own mouth. I say, I choose to forgive. Number eight, I'm almost done. Pray for the person that hurts you. That can be hard. Jesus said we are to even pray for our enemies. And I think part of the motive is that is that if we pray for our enemies long enough, they might become our friends. 
We might love them. I've seen it over and over again. People I began to pray for, my heart toward them began to change. At first I prayed with anger, with judgment. At first I prayed in a way that wanted them to get their due. Bless them, Lord, with a brick. No, just kidding. But you know what I'm saying, right? But over time, as I prayed for them, I began to find that I started asking questions like the Holy Spirit, I believe, would show me like, um, you know, do you know their story? You know their own upbringing? Maybe the reason they're an angry person is maybe they were abused. Maybe they had an angry dad or an angry mom. Maybe they were continually put down. You begin to have compassion for them. I went through this with my own stepdad years ago. He's gone to be, I hope, with the Lord. But he was really harsh, demanding. I could never make him happy. I could never measure up. Nothing was ever good enough. And he was alcoholic. And he was mean. And he disciplined me. He abused me. And I just, I had all these things. And then I came to Christ. But I began to see my own things I'd done to him. And the way I treated him as a teenager. And one day I felt like God said, I want you to go to him. And I want you to ask him to forgive you for the things you did to him. And then I also had to work through his stuff toward me. But I'm going to tell you what happened. I began to pray for him. And I started seeing his life. His own upbringing. The way his own stepfather had treated him. And it all started making sense. And instead of being angry and bitter and hating him, I started to have compassion for him and love him and pray for his salvation. And that's what happens to us when we pray for our enemies. Our heart changes. Enemies can become people we care about and even love. And lastly, repeat. Repeat all the steps until your heart is free emotionally. See, forgiveness is often a process. It requires you to say it over and over, to pray it over and over, to practice it over and over again. You got to go through the steps over and over again because sometimes the hurt goes really deep. But I want to tell you something. If you work through this stuff between you and the Lord and with other people if you need help, if you got to go to a counselor or a therapist, go to a counselor or a therapist. If you got to sit with someone else, sit with someone else. But do it. Please do it. Because here's what's going to happen. Your own relationship with God's going to really open up too. And secondly, you're going to be free. And you're going to be able to put your past behind you. The stuff that's tripping you up, that binds you all the time, that keeps you from forward movement. And you're going to be able to go forward into the plan that God has for your life. Because I'm going to tell you something. Some of us are paralyzed. We're stuck. We can't move because we're bitter and unforgiving. But if we'll forgive and let the bitterness drain out and be healed, our best days are ahead of us. Amen. Will you stand with me?